0: Good afternoon. It's Friday the 9th of June, 2023, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Cold News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me today in the studio, Patrick Henningsen. Welcome to the program, Patrick.
1: Great to be with you, Mike.
0: And uh, we got Vanessa uh, Bailey joining us from Damascus uh, by video link. So we're going to get uh, kicked off here with, well, the wonderful Rishi Sunak. Here he is uh, arriving at the White House, uh, of course, a couple of days ago. He's been in the country for a few days uh, and uh, doing all kinds of things. Joe Biden managed to walk around the sofa there without tripping over this time, Patrick, uh, and to sit down uh, without tripping over again.
1: It's got tremendous gravitas, uh, Rishi Sunak does.
0: Uh, well, it's so much gravitas, in fact, that Biden thought he was a president, so he called him Mr. President while he was there. There you are. But anyway, the outcome of this uh, fantastic event was uh, the Atlantic Declaration. This is all about securing our future. This is their uh, graphic uh, to promote it. It's a fantastic piece of work. So let's just have a look at the uh, key points from this. Uh, So they're saying, first of all, uh, they're gonna reduce vulnerabilities across uh, critical technological supply chains. That means uh, chilling effect on China, right? That's just to translate that. Uh, Support the critical clean energy industry uh, and our net zero ambitions. So we're looking forward to seeing that in action. Uh, And then we're gonna keep Russia out of the global civil nuclear power market.
1: Fantastic, so, uh, Chinese, uh, freezing Chinese out, deindustrialization, and keeping, again, more uh, t- tariffs and sanctions and
0: so forth. And making sure Russia can't provide any energy to the rest of the world. So,
1: balkanizing the global economy and deindustrialization. Absolutely. That's it it yeah. gets
0: better. Here we go. Research collaboration on AI, future telecoms, telecoms, that's 5G and 6G, quantum computing, semiconductors, and engineering biology. That's uh, um, uh, genetic uh, uh, sequencing, uh, Gen-
1: genomic, genomic sequencing, sequencing yes. biosurveillance, all, all that stuff. All global yes. leaders is is Global Britain on this.
0: 100%. Uh, and finally, designating the UK as the domestic source within the meaning of Title Three of the Defense Production Act. Uh, so that means that British defense companies can get involved in US defense contracts. Uh, so there you go. So,
1: so is Britain taking um, the American colony back or is America... Uh, absorbing Britain as a 51st state? This is a very good question. Which is
0: it? That is a very good question. Now, uh, one of the uh, key focuses uh, focuses on this was AI, of course. So naturally, Britain is now going to be hosting uh, the first major global summit on AI safety, uh, and that's going to be this autumn. Uh, So we're going to make sure that AI is safe. And this is because the importance of like-minded allies and companies working to develop an international framework uh, to ensure the safe and re- reliable development of the use of AI is key to the uh, processing of data and so on, as we're going to come on to in a second. Uh, but guess what? Palantir has said that it uh, uh, is uh, going to make the UK its new European HQ for AI development. So what does this mean really? Well, it's about deregulation, isn't it? They're, they're, of course, they cut this all in the language of safety. But this is about deregulation and making sure that uh, the big AI companies can do whatever the heck they like uh, at any particular time
1: what does government want out of this though they want um they want the automation that these uh, these AI uh, applications are going to provide that's go- automation for what for anything you can imagine censorship um, interfacing with government quote customer service and the list goes on and on data data collection data surveillance etc
0: exactly so that's why they've also announced what they're describing as a data bridge uh, between the UK and the United States because Big data flows, this is really key. Uh, So what are they saying here? They're saying the UK and the United States have reached a commitment in principle to establish a UK extension of the data privacy framework, which would see the creation of a new data bridge between two countries. US companies who are approved to join the framework Uh, could be genomic sequencing, could be uh, any kind of- uh, Surveillance. Biosurveillance, all that kind of stuff, uh, would be able to receive UK personal data under the new data bridge, basically without restrictions. So it totally subverts uh, data protections uh, for the UK, for UK citizens.
1: Is that not a violation of GDPR? Uh,
0: You could say that. Uh, We should make the point that there's already one of these agreements, uh, which many people won't be aware of, with the Republic of Korea, Uh, and that means that UK businesses are now able to share personal data securely without restrictions with Korean companies. This is now going to happen with the United States as well. So uh, lots of uh, really positive stuff, if you'll excuse the sarcasm, coming out of uh, uh, Rishi's visit to the United States. And we shouldn't forget, of course, uh, that uh, one of the key things that he was there to do was to lobby for Ben Wallace to become the next Secretary General of NATO.
1: Oh, so he's uh, shortlisted himself the job. Certainly. the big job everybody wants.
0: He certainly has. It is the big job that everybody wants. He's up against Ursula von der Leyen, so we will see uh, how that works out in the end. Okay, let me welcome Vanessa to the program. And uh, well, the news from Syria, Vanessa, is you've got a, far from the United States leaving the country, a new base being built.
2: Yeah, interesting news that uh, came out in the last few days and, and has been sort of picked up and run with. Although Actually, the U.S. um, putting up new bases inside Syria, they have around between 24 and 28. Some of them are kind of uh, non-permanent structures that they move around uh, and reposition. Some, of course, are the bigger bases, uh, the more um, permanent reinforced ones like Al-Tanef. So this new U.S. military base that sort of cropped up in the last few days, uh, I just wanted to talk about it in a bit more detail today. Um, the positioning of, of it, banks of the Euphrates, east of the Euphrates River, very close to the Takbar Dam and the water pumping station. You can see the little uh, American flag logo there. Um, and it's in the village of al Swedia. And uh, it's we've, we've had reports of actually the SDF, the, the Kurdish Contra forces, being used to effectively ethnically cleanse uh, the village on the pretext that villagers were demonstrating in support of President Assad uh, and his historic speech at the Arab League summit. Uh, but they were basically chucked out of the village so that the U.S. forces could move in. There is probably only between 50 and 60 actual uh, military personnel in the base. And the U.S. has previously had uh, bases in this area, particularly when it was claiming to be fighting ISIS in Raqqa, which is about 40 kilometers to the east of the base. Um, But the fact is that this base is uh, being put here for a reason right now. And I just want to play this report from uh, Kivok al-Masyan of Syriana Analysis as a sort of introduction to what I'll then try to explain.
3: As if 24 illegal military sites were not enough, the US occupation forces are silently building a new base in Syria, to reinforce its occupation of the oil-rich one-third of the country. While the U.S. claims its presence in Syria is to fight terrorism, the remaining few ISIS pockets are all on the western shore of the Euphrates, which means on the side where the Syrian army and its allies are already stationed. In fact, there are multiple reports indicating that the U.S. forces in al Tanf border crossing are embedded with the same terrorists and allowing them to operate freely in the area and wage attacks on the Syrian military and civilian targets. The real reason for the U.S. presence in Syria is part of Washington's economic war against Damascus through the occupation of oil and wheat fields to block the reconstruction of the war-torn country from the revenues of the oil and to weaponize the food basket against millions of Syrians. The policy, in short, is vile Evil and sadistic. Now, people are asking how to end the US occupation and theft of Syria's natural resources. There are reports of sizable Russian military convoy moving toward the east of the Syrian province of Deir ez-Zor. This Russian military deployment coincides with news reports stating that Iranian military equipment has arrived in the region and that the 17th Infantry Division of the Syrian Army has been heavily building up on the banks of the Euphrates River. According to the Washington Post, which has close ties to the US regime, Iran is planning to escalate attacks against American occupation forces in Syria per a leaked document, which reveals a covert plan to kill Americans, which is seen as part of a larger Russian-backed strategy to oust US from Syria. But as the independent investigative journalist Vanessa Billy asked, why the Washington Post need leaked documents or intelligence officials to inform them that Syrians do not appreciate the illegal occupation of one-third of Syrian territory, unlawful U.S. military bases, regular kidnap and killing of Syrian civilians by U.S. military, theft of oil and agricultural resources, on top of a 12-year hybrid war to topple the Syrian government using terrorist proxies? Could Washington Post or other US media outlets not figure out for themselves that the pushback against US violation of international law was inevitable using the alliances that have supported Syria throughout history? I guess not.
2: Um, And now what I want to do is just to uh, give people an idea on the map, because when we talk about these places, I know it's very hard in your mind to locate it if if you don't have the geography of Syria um, to hand. So the the red circle in the middle is the new uh, U.S. base. As again, I said, it's relatively small, between 50 to 60 troops, um, short range air defense uh, batteries and some armored vehicles. But, of course, what what is happening is this is happening at the same time that Russia and Syria are building up troops in the same area. Um, The gold circles are um, uh, ISIS holding camps. We know that the U.S. transfers them from those camps into Iraq and into areas of Syria to carry out attacks against Syrian Arab army positions and against civilian positions. There's been an increase in attacks since the earthquakes uh, in February. The gray kind of blobs uh, in the red area, the red area is controlled by Syrian Arab army, but there are still ISIS terrorist cells within that area itself. So if you look at where the US base is, it has a direct line um, to the biggest US military base, uh, illegal military base in Syria at al Tanf which is also, again, a sort of recruitment center uh, for terrorist groups, including ISIS. And it has a 55 kilometer exclusion zone around it. So Russian, Syrian troops, uh, even civilians can't enter that area. And there have been live fire exercises carried out by the armed groups, terrorist groups in that area using even U.S. uh, military hardware like HIMARS, for example, that have an over. 200-kilometer kilometer, uh, range. So in my opinion, and this is my opinion backed up by, by that of various researchers and military personnel here, that the U.S. is trying to basically uh, build a network on the, uh, on, on the territory that is still under the control of the Syrian Arab army. And this is quite interesting. This came out in May. I found it today from South Front. The U.S. wants to build new base in Iraq's oil-rich western region. So let's see exactly where that is and how it ties into the new base in Syria. The United States is planning to establish a new base in the western Iraqi province of Al-Anbar, an Iraqi security source told local news outlets uh, on May 23rd. The unnamed sources suggested that the U.S. wants to establish a presence in Al-Anbar which borders both Syria and Jordan, because it hosts some of Iraq's richest oil and gas fields. The security situation in the province, which was once considered a stronghold of ISIS, has allegedly improved significantly in the last few years, according to the source. Now, the U.S. maintains some 2,500 troops in Iraq and probably a similar number in Syria, although they tend to downplay it. Um, And recent Iraqi news outlets revealed a plan by the U.S. to further expand its presence within the Ayn al-Assad base, which is located in Al-Anbar. So there you see also an increase in um, U.S. military in Iraq. And let's see how that ties in to the idea of a direct route um, to the U.S. base now close to Raqqa and close to the, the water pumping station um, of, of Takbar. And this is important because not only is... The U.S. controlling oil and agricultural resources, but Turkey, another NATO member, has uh, control of the majority of the water that enters both Iraq and Syria. So the U.S. being close to the pumping center is also potentially a risk for Syria. And here you have, it's virtually a direct line from Al-Anbar to Tanef to the U.S. base in the center there. Um, and so that means that arms that come into Anbar, for example, uh, the air base at Anbar uh, can be used potentially in coordination with al Tanf and the U.S. base in the center to carry out attacks if there is an escalation um, between uh, Syria and her allies and the United States.
0: Okay, thank you, Vanessa, for that. Okay, let's move on to uh, Ukraine now, Patrick.
1: So a little update on uh, what's going on with the Ukraine conflict here. Uh, we have a few developments this week. I know you've mentioned uh, some of them uh, earlier uh, in the week on your uh, program. We're gonna uh, hopefully expand on some of that here. Um, so the one of the big stories, of, obviously, that's been brewing forever is the much-anticipated spring counteroffensive. Uh, so we're past spring now, and it's finally arrived, Mike. The counteroffensive, we're told, has, uh, has begun, only it's uh, summer. Uh, but anyway, a couple of months late. So let's take a look at this. This is uh, even CNN, the fake news network, is being forced to admit Ukrainian forces are suffering uh, stiff resistance and losses in assaults on the Russian lines. So, And we're talking about potentially significant losses uh, in what's called probing operations along various insertion points along these front lines. The main area we're going to look at is around the Zaporozhia area here. And so just looking at the mainstream coverage, Mike, and uh, there seems to be a, a type of a theme. I mean, look at this image, Ukraine strikes back crossing the fingers, hoping for the best. So this is the big counteroffensive that everything is supposedly hinging on here. Read this quote here uh, from the the subtext on this article. The next few weeks will determine the future, not only of Ukraine, but the entire security system of Europe. The time has come to make a decision, Mike. So not very confident, apparently, by the imagery on the uh, security system of Europe and certainly not confident about Ukraine's prospects militarily here. So that's the economist uh, voice of the deep state. So let's take a look at the spring uh, counteroffensive now in the summer. Uh, So we'll look at this. Now these are estimates, Mike, that we put together. Well,
0: before we do that, we've got to look at the tank situation, because of course, the the, the story about the leopard tanks uh, has been uh, running through for a while. Oh, sure. sure. uh, And uh, so uh, Build now has uh, decided to uh, publish uh, some of the footage of this. Uh, Leopard tank being uh, blown up by the Russians. Uh, So this is uh, being admitted in, well, what is it being admitted? It's being admitted in the German press, in build at least, but where else? Not really anywhere else. It's certainly not in any of the British media and so on. So let's, uh, Forbes is really the only other Western media that's covered this, Uh, and this was yesterday. I think Uh, the Russians just destroyed their first Ukrainian Leopard 2 tank, uh, is what Forbes was reporting. But uh, just a couple of days ago, we had this type of thing in the mail uh, and everywhere else. Russia boasts it's destroyed Leopard Tank, but it's mocked by analysts who say they've actually blown up tractors. So the, the story, the Western story was, uh, don't worry, nothing to see here. Leopard Tanks all still functioning as they should be because, uh, in fact, Russia was blowing up uh, farm machinery and claiming it was tanks instead. Well, one or two, one or two only. Western outlets are now admitting that, in fact, that's not the case, that that uh, leopard tanks have been blown up, uh, as you would expect, uh, by shelling. Um, but uh, mo- the vast majority, certainly the BBC and the, no other British press is covering this story at all. They're in complete denial, it seems.
1: Sir, sure, military analysts have looked at that footage that you just showed, Mike, and then noted the columns of tanks um, just kind of being uh, you know, used as target practice um, by Russian artillery. Right. And a lot of people are questioning the fact that these are obviously the trained, especially trained Ukrainian uh, forces that have been spending the last two months or three months being trained in Europe um, on these very combat techniques regarding these very tanks. And some of this new equipment is supposed to be cutting edge training, right, Uh, Right. to to NATO standard, and they're getting wiped out straight away. away. And so where are the replacement uh, drivers for these German tanks if they're losing
0: where are the replacement tanks?
1: Can they go from the Challenger into the Leopard and then you know, back to the Abrams? And so, again, the chopping and changing yes. of all this equipment is not really a recipe for success, uh, apparently. But uh, back to the uh, spring counteroffensive here, and you can see Zelensky commiserating with his sugar daddy, uh, Joe Biden, uh, there uh, from their recent uh, visit. So let's take a look at this. This is now, w- what we've done, Mike, is amalgamated Russian MOD, with uh, Rybar. And I've looked at other Russian Telegram channels and the numbers are more or less in this ballpark. You cannot get accurate figures here. You have to go by the credibility of past claims uh, and looking at a multitude of sources here. Looking at past claims, these numbers tend to be pretty consistently accurate um, compared to other Western sources that tend to really underplay losses.
0: And certainly nothing from the Ukrainian side is in any way accurate.
1: Oh, yeah. They've lost nobody. They've lost no tanks. Um, it's all going swimmingly well. Uh, that's, that's Kiev's uh, party line. This is the first 72 hours, again, not just in Zaporozhye, but mainly this is where the, the bulk of the fighting is happening. So this is what we're looking at. Ukraine, uh, 30,000 men uh, positioned over six insertion points along these battle lines, okay? So far, the losses um, reported, according to those sources we've cited, an amalgamation are roughly 8,700 dead soldiers, okay? Uh, and this is, again, in, in, including other uh, areas, including uh, the, the fringe of back moat as well, uh, and other areas. 2,900, quote, missing. You could count those potentially as uh, casualties. 4,000 hospitalized. Okay, so already, Mike, you're at 50% losses there, just in the first 72 hours. Um, okay, uh, 33 tanks, 66 combat vehicles, a combination of uh, different combat vehicles there. Uh, 30 howitzers lost, these are, these are lost by Ukraine, and four fixed wing aircraft that we've seen so far. Okay, so that's the first three days of the counteroffensive. Um, by, if, the, if these are even halfway accurate, Mike, it's not going well. Mm. It's not going well. And considering everything is hinging on this counteroffensive, the future of uh, funding, et cetera, from the West. So we'll 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 move on and uh, see where our, the, the analysis takes us next, Mike. But you mentioned this in the previous uh, program here, Anders Rasmussen, former head of NATO, basically saying that NATO. Uh, is going to send troops into the Ukraine. He warns there. Now, this this, this statement was immediately rebuked by the uh, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Kuliba. He said there will be no NATO troops in there. So, with the denials and the statements combined, I think there's a possibility that this could happen. Mm. So, we're not discounting that um, at all. But so much is is hinging on this. This is what Mark Esper is saying, former Defense Secretary of the U.S. This is this is his comment on this on the big counter-offensive and what it means. Go ahead and roll this.
0: Significant moment. Everybody is looking to Ukraine to be very successful. You know, I was in uh, Europe uh, two weeks ago for about two weeks. And the number one question over there is, where is U.S. support? And everybody fairly thinks that um, (coughs) if Ukraine does well, U.S. support will continue. If not, it could wither. And if U.S. support withers, then a lot of other countries will go with it. So it's very important. I think Ukraine understands this politically, not just militarily, that they have a very successful counteroffensive that shows people a return on their investment in the Ukrainian military.
1: I mean, this is so craven and crass, isn't it? A return on their investment. So look, we we just showed you the casualties. We just showed you the dead soldiers. I mean, you're looking at potentially by the end of next week, uh, you know, 15,000. Dead Ukrainian soldiers, and that, and Mark Esper, that's a return on, on the investment. They've already got 37 billion earmarked for the next round of aid. The United States alone, 37 billion, in various packages, arms and uh, financial assistance. So, is the is the aid conditional on their performance on the battlefield? I mean, how far can can we can the West go on this proxy war? Where's the upper limit for casualties for dead Ukrainians? Uh, soldiers, is there an upper limit where where it becomes this is an immoral conflict and we can't proceed any further and let's let's sue for peace? Is there such a, a limit?
0: Not as far as Western politicians are concerned. Not yeah. as far as the puppets in Ukraine are are concerned.
1: Zelensky. Well, they're doing very well financially, and yes. I'm saying. That, that that has to be factored in as well. This is not, this is totally unprecedented. In the history of um, modern international relations, we've never seen such a craven mechanical proxy war like this with completely arm's length and emotionally and morally arm's length as well by the West, I mean, c- incredible. A lot of people have a lot to answer for, I think, in, in Congress and also in, in the British Parliament as well. Forget yes. about the EU, that's another story. So on the, uh,
0: uh, yeah. So in the meantime, okay, of course, the the uh, dam uh, being blown up by whomever uh, is uh, still in the news. And Britain really suggesting that uh, this would be a war crime. I mean, let's forget the dams that were blown up during the Second World War by who? By Britain. Okay. Right. So let's not...
1: And the dam in Syria attacked by right. the United States right, indeed. with airstrikes. But, but
0: yeah. this, this would become a war crime. Uh, because Russia, of course, is getting the blame for it. Um, now, as no doubt you're going to mention in a second, it has been on the receiving end of weaponry from the Ukrainian side over the last several months. But anyway, just before we move on, I wanted to highlight uh, what uh, Maria Zakharova is saying. Um, I'm talking about what happened yesterday at the uh, Karkovka, uh hydraulic... Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, hydraulic
1: power plant.
0: No, you bit it. Sorry, I've forgotten the hydroelectric is what I'm thinking of. Uh, This really should be a subject of worldwide study, research and investigations. They're calling for exactly the type of uh, inquiry into this event as with the uh, Nord Stream pipeline. Um, And of course, they're getting uh, total rebuke from the rest of the the Western world anyway. Uh, But she went on to say the reaction of the West in all such situations is 100% predictable. It's an endless desire to blame Russia for everything. Uh, She's not wrong. Uh, the endless linking of all negative things that happen in Western countries in order to maintain the hysterical attitude of their own populations towards the situation around Russia. Uh, She's absolutely right there. But uh, calling for uh, a global investigation into this, which quick as a flash isn't going to happen. And in fact, Western uh, governments already saying no way to that. Uh, But what's what's Kiev saying uh, about it?
1: Well, this is the latest here. Uh, Kiev claims, they claim they have intercepted calls showing that Russia blew up the Kakovka Dam. So this is shades of MH17. Yes. The SBU has uh, intercepted uh, calls. So uh, we can't wait for the release on this. And uh, we hope that the audio uh, is is non-doctored as the MH17 uh, evidence that w- turned out to be not even admissible Uh, in the Dutch kangaroo court trial uh, in The Hague. But hey, um, it's all in a day's work uh, for the SBU. Uh, So that's what they're saying here. This is the latest, obviously. They they held back on this a couple of days before they released it because it was such bombshell uh, intelligence. But uh, so Russia did it. Here's the chorus, Mike, starting with uh, our favorite, Jan Stoltenberg. The destruction of the dam puts thousands of lives at risk. This is an outrageous act. The brutality of the war crimes, etc. So he's saying Russia did it. Ursula van der Leyen immediately weighs in after Jean Stoltenberg. Uh, Russia will have to pay for the war crimes committed in Ukraine. The destruction of this dam is an outrageous attack. So I think they both said outrageous, didn't they? No, I'm not sure. Yes, an outrageous act. Attack, civilian infrastructure, lives at risk, Etc. Europe is mobilizing support with our civil protection mechanism. So I wonder what that is. What is the European civil protection mechanism? What could that be? Uh, white helmets or something? Or rather, okay. And this is the latest woke sensation. The leader of Estonia, uh, Kaya Kalis, he's saying the terrorist state Russia is now turning turned water into a weapon, uh, destroying the uh, Kakovka Dam. It's a war crime, she says. Uh, this is ecocide, she says. She's coming from the, the green angle there. Uh, and, a web, and mass destruction, etc. We must stop this cycle of aggression by helping Ukraine to victory and delivering full accountability. All sounds pretty good here. And of course, uh, Zelensky weighs in, Russian terrorists. The destruction of the Kharkov hydroelectric power plant only confirms the whole world. What do we nearly know is Russians are evil etc., etc. And so there he goes. It's uh, more platitudes from Zelensky uh, straight out of the uh, CIA scriptwriting department there. I'm sure they're managing his Twitter account very well. So Michael Tracy stumps all of them here. Another round of Russia keeps blowing up its own critical infrastructure for reasons that no one can explain, according to allegations. Russia's novel strategy for prosecuting the war is to bomb itself constantly, so I'm with Michael Tracy uh, on that one here, but let's take a look at some key data points. Well, it turns out that this is the UN Security Council here, dated October 21st, 2022. Uh, The Russian delegation uh, raised this very issue uh, that Ukraine was targeting this uh, dam and using it as a military target here, and they warned about all the potential uh, problems that could arise from such attacks, so this is on the record. Okay, another data point here, uh, December 2022, Washington Post, uh, complaints here, even the Washington Post admits it, uh, Ukrainians using US HIMAR uh, rockets to uh, strike the floodgates at the dam, at the Kokova Dam, same dam, mm. uh, Ukrainian forces. So this has been a military target for months, as you said before.
0: Well, the key point here is that, that the evidence seems to be showing that it took quite some time from the... Uh, point of I mean, because nobody actually knows which attack uh, may have done the damage that finally caused the collapse, but it's been in the process of collapse for an extended period of time. So, it, I mean, for all we know, it could have been that event which uh, which caused the eventual collapse. So, uh, there's there, also the
1: underwater demolition possibility, a la Nord Stream pipeline. Right. Um, that's also certainly there's there's teams on NATO's side that are perfectly capable of putting mines or mining underwater. Uh, on that dam, so and and also there's a potential of sabotage from the inside as well. So there's a lot of different possibilities there. So let's take a look at this. So who benefits from this? Well, it's worth pointing out, these are just a few data points. This poses a risk potentially to the Zaporozhye power plant's backup power system. That's for the cooling, very important in terms of uh, reactor meltdowns. Threatens fresh water supply to Crimea. That can't benefit Russia, can it? I don't think so. And Russia forced to move back from defensive positions along the floodline. That can't be a benefit to the Russian forces. And Russian mine positions have been lost, uh, which they fortified uh, in those areas. So, you know, these are just a couple. There's many more we could add to this list. But this idea that Russia did it because somehow they benefit, again, from blowing up critical infrastructure, which seems to be a kind of a talking point. Uh, Nobody really questions this in the West, but obviously the evidence doesn't point there. Now, Tucker Carlson also weighed in on this issue. And we should note that he launched his first episode of Tucker Carlson on Twitter, hit 100 million views, Mike, breaking the records for any such TV format episode ever. So this was huge. Whether he'll get those numbers in the future, we'll see. He put out episode two, I think, this morning. Okay, He's had a second one out. But he made a claim about this dam. Let's listen to what Tucker said about this issue and the Nord Stream pipeline. And we may even fact check it but go ahead and roll this
4: so really once the facts start coming in it becomes much less of a mystery what might have happened to the dam any fair person would
1: conclude that the ukrainians probably blew it up just as you would assume they blew up Nord Stream, the russian natural gas pipeline last fall and in fact the ukrainians did do that as we now know
0: do we know that do
1: we know that uh, I don't know. I don't think we do know that. Um, it seems to me the evidence points to NATO uh, blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not even convinced that Ukraine uh, blew up this dam. I think it's possible that we have, uh, S, you know, we have SAS, uh, we have uh, special boat services, we have Navy SEALs on the NATO side, all capable of sabotage operations and doing it totally in in a clandestine way. Mm. So uh, we'll fact check Tucker Carlson here on Twitter. And we said that no, we don't know, rather the evidence suggests that the US, NATO blew up the Nord Stream pipelines, I cite Cy Hirsch, Seymour Hirsch, and also a report which we released at 21st Century Wire that really shows clearly that this type of operation can only be done by really advanced teams. And there's only a few countries in the world that have the critical equipment uh, to to take carry out such a mission. And certainly, it's not going to be a 50-foot sailboat called the Andromeda. And some <laughs> Ukra- pro-Ukrainian rogue uh, uh, people on a pleasure cruise, it's just not. Plausible. So I don't know what Tucker Carlson's referring to there, but you know we're just putting that out there as a little bit of a nudge for Tucker.
0: Okay, okay. And uh, Vanessa, let's come back to you then. And, and Germany. And uh, well, we've got a question over German support for ISIS.
2: Yes. Yeah. So this is Stefan Schneck, the special envoy for Syria uh, from Germany. A member of the Green Party, which should already set off alarms as they are uh, the primary party to have supported terrorism uh, in Syria and uh, Nazism in Ukraine. But let's see what he tweeted out yesterday. And this is quite extraordinary. This is craven terrorist apologism from the the top German diplomat uh, on relations with Syria, the special envoy, so basically, this is translated uh, with the red circle is abdul Basset al-Sarut. And this was on June the 8th. He said, today we commemorate abdul Basset al-Sarut, the Syrian goalkeeper turned brave revolutionary. His life with its ups and downs paints a vivid picture of the complexities of the Syrian struggle, and his legacy continues to inspire us. So let's have a look, Mike, at what legacy exactly continues to inspire Mr. Schneck. So this is Abdul Baset al-Sarut's incitement to genocide against Alawites, a Muslim minority sect inside uh, Syria. He basically says, we're coming to slaughter you without an agreement. He's holding court here with a number of uh, terrorist armed fighters. Uh, here he's speaking to crowds, I think this was in Homs, yes, uh, where again he's calling uh, to exterminate the Alawites uh, and the Shiites, uh, telling them to leave. Here he's saying the message for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS. He's, ugh, he's calling for uh, allegiance with Nusra Front Al-Qaeda. Here again we will exterminate the Alawites the Shiites have to go. So, this was another report in Al Monitor. He also called for the genocide, basically, of Christians. Here he is with the ISIS logo. And of course, how did uh, Western media present him as the singer of the revolution, leading rallies when peaceful protests broke out against Syrian President Bashar al Assad in 2011? So, quite extraordinary um, endorsement of ISIS terrorism here from uh, the German Special Envoy. And I had a quick look this morning through his Twitter page. So here, this was previously a couple of months ago. Today, we remember Basil uh, Shahada, the Syrian Christian director, producer, and activist who was killed by Syrian government forces in Homs in 2012. Now, it's worth noting I spoke to Kivok al-Masian about him because I didn't actually recognize the name. But looking a little bit further into him, it appears that he came in to Homs at the same time as people like Danny Abdul Qayyam, um, who were proven uh, to be producing fake reports. And I recommend if people haven't seen this, that they go and watch the documentary that I made in collaboration with a Syrian journalist, Rafiq Latif, that basically exposed the majority of the narratives from 2012 to 2013, by CNN, Al Jazeera, Al Arabiya, et cetera, to have been very clearly uh, staged. And then finally, let's look at one of the tweets that he put out more recently, which again is quite extraordinary. Uh, he says that we're concerned about the deployment of regime, uh, replace that with government forces in Syria. The world was told that reconciliation was done, but violence did not generate peace and prosperity. No. What didn't generate peace and prosperity were the sanctions uh, without UN mandate that the EU, UK, Turkey, and the US have imposed on the Syrian people. We call on the regime to stop violence against civilians. In reality, he knows damn well that the Syrian Arab army is mobilizing against US forces that are occupying the majority of Syrian resources and against terrorist forces that he is obviously glorifying and lionizing. Uh, In his tweets, um, he says the political path is the only way to achieve true reconciliation and peace. Uh, And we assume he's ready to support this long and difficult path by supporting the terrorist proxies that are trying to topple the Syrian government and who have massacred and carried out ethnic cleansing programs against the minorities that uh, Sarut mentioned in his various speeches. This, I mean, this is craven. You know, this is from a high level German diplomat should be condemned on all levels.
0: Yes, thank you for that. Okay, Uh, if you like what the UK Column does, you'd like to support us, uh, please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. You'd be very welcome as a member and we absolutely need your support. Uh, You could pick something up at the UK Column shop, but please do share uh, anything you find on the various platforms, especially uh, ukcolumn.org and extracts.co.uk. Now I just want to very briefly uh, mention the latest comedy show from the uh, BBC, and that is Mariana and Conspiracy Land. The first episode of this will be on Monday at nine forty-five. Now, normally the BBC puts their comedy uh, programs on at six thirty on Radio Four uh, every weekday, uh, but for some reason they've decided to shift this one to nine forty-five uh, in the morning. Um, so, uh, any you know people if they want a bit of a laugh may want to to listen to that. This is going to be the first of uh, ten episodes, uh, and I'm presuming. That uh, this is going to focus on the light newspaper, but that is Mariana uh, looking down the
1: is that rabbit her, hole, or is that an AI rendering of her, Mike?
0: Well, it's certainly heavily, heavily, uh, heavily manipulated. Doesn't like look that. like
1: that in real in no. real life at all. No, um, it's, it's it's just a weird image, isn't it? Yes, it's like looking down a whole uh, septic tank. I don't know what she's looking
0: playing, down, but anyway,
1: there. anyway.
0: Let's move on to Julian Assange.
1: So uh, this is the latest here, Julian Assange will fight the UK High Court decision uh, and last legal option against extradition to the US. So big appeal coming up. Uh, Here's a tweet uh, from uh, Stella Assange, his wife, on Tuesday next week, my husband Julian Assange will make a renewed application for appeal to the uh, British High Court. The matter will then proceed to a public hearing before two new judges at the High Court and we remain optimistic that we will prevail and that Julian will not be extradited to the United States where he faces charges that could result in him spending the rest of his life and then some in maximum security uh, in the United States for publishing true information uh, that revealed war crimes committed by the U.S. government. So those who committed the war crimes never arrested, never charged, those who exposed the war crimes. Uh, imprisoned for life, or in this case, held without uh, any unconvicted prisoner now for years in Belmarsh prison. So uh, they feel confident. Um, They have a very good case. They have an excellent case. They have a great legal team. Um, The only question, Mike, as we've said many times before, is, is the political will there in Britain um, to look at this on its merits rather than to uh, continue to treat Julian Assange as a political prisoner? That's the question. Because at the moment, the system, the justice system, if you want to call it a justice system, is treating him as a political prisoner on behalf of the United States security state. That's that's the reality of it. I, I share her optimism. I think that the political winds have changed. The question is, is it enough to affect the decision by the judges? And I've always said what happens outside the courtroom will affect the decisions made inside the courtroom. It is it is not isolated. They're absolutely the political, the, the size of the protest, the amount of people that are concerned that any media coverage will affect the decision inside.
0: And, uh, and, and will the judges have the, the guts to, to stand up to the political pressure? Because undoubtedly, they will be continuing to be under political pressure?
1: We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out if these two new judges um, are going to bring anything new to the table um, that the others didn't, uh, that uh, a lot of people would argue were completely rubber stamping decisions that were basically handed to them by Washington.
0: Okay, so. let's move on to uh, more censorship. Uh, wh- related to and uh, the twitter files has been new inf- twitter files information
1: there was a new drop and and it's one of the most interesting drops so far we'll call it a supplemental um, drop because it's really going in to a deep dive on an, a, an organization that we know very well mike and vanessa also knows too but uh, let's look at this latest twitter files drop here and this features this organization, uh, the Atlantic Council, very important organization and all of their various offshoots like the DFR labs and so forth. So how did this whole disinformation network come together? Well, all is revealed from the emails from Twitter's servers, and in this case, uh, we're going to look at the work here of Andrew Lowenthal. Now I like uh, his work because he comes from the uh, arguably the other side. He said he used to be with some of these organizations and left, and he's been very open about his uh, past affiliations. And he's, he feels like he's, you know by exposing them now, he's doing a, the public uh, a great deal of service. But not only that, he understands these organizations very well. So he's basically one of the Twitter files journalists here. He also understands power. And this was what I like about his drops, is he really gets how all the power converges here. So this is the latest here. Let's take a closer look here. He's calling it the no kidding decision makers, the anti-disinformation field, how it all got organized um, back when all these forces came together. 2018, 2017, very key period. Mm-hmm. You also have this timeline on UK Columns yes. website mm-hmm. as well. So some of this will be very familiar to you. Let's take a closer look here. Just just pointing out some of the familiar faces. Mike Jim Clapper, uh, former head of US intelligence, and of course, Carl Bilt, yeah. a uh, perennial Bilderberg attendee, former uh, a prime minister of Sweden here, just just to name a few. So there, these are, again, spooks involved at the highest level. you got the heads of major PR firms as well. Facebook's represented, Microsoft, of course. It almost looks like, Mike, a breakout meeting for Bilderberg, mm-hmm. if you really want to break down the guest list here. So they had, this week, this uh, double summit. One was in Latvia, the other in Costa Rica here, 360 OS summit. Okay, this is the Atlantic Council, and we'll look at this. So you know you can see the types of people, Boris Johnson, Mike Pompeo, who the deep state will thrust as the Republican vice presidential candidate. He is the next Dick Cheney, representing the defense uh, establishment here, Mike Pence, George Bush Jr., of course. These, ty- these are the types of people that have been featured. Um, in the past with uh, the Atlantic Council and DFR Lab, So this is really a privatized arm of the Central Intelligence Agency and MI6. Okay, so let's look at this double event here. And so they have their own situation room. Twitter also um, gives to these events as well previously under the previous regime. So big tech is part of the funding for Atlantic Council along with the defense industry, uh, along with uh, finance and the energy sector, all of the things that U.S. Uh, overseas imperialism, those interests they seek to protect and create markets for, those are the funders of the Atlantic Council and these types of events. Isn't that interesting? So let's take a look at this. They're also partnering DFR Labs with the Virology Project. They ran a lot of the censorship as we showed previously um, regarding COVID and vaccines. That's really important. Also, um, in addition to that, well, let's take a look at this. So th- these are the items which they were marked to be censored. Anything questioning COVID cases or COVID deaths, uh, the lethality of the virus. We're talking early on in 2020. M- marked for removal, and IFR spread, etc. cetera. Anything that pr- provided anything different than the mainstream or the government narrative. Alternative remedies, uh, treatments, that was marked for removal, questioning the efficacy of masks, marked for removal, vaccine efficacy and safety, uh, marked for removal, side effects of vaccines, deaths, and any post that creates, quote, vaccine hesitancy, mm-hmm. immediately marked for either removal or what they called limited distribution, i.e. shadow banning. Right. So the DFR Labs, Atlantic Council, not just in the war conversation, they're also working on COVID and vaccines uh, as well. And so this was the hub this is the global engagement center which they are also partnering with this is the state department funded hub where all of the three-letter agencies could go and gain access to facebook google youtube twitter linkedin okay so this is the the main organizing hub that allows the deep state access into the, the censorship machine we're calling this the censorship industrial complex here back to uh andrew's uh twitter files drops and we'll look at this the dfr labs and the global engagement center and hamilton 68 so they're organizing these uh, networks behind the scenes from 2018 and so sharing information sharing blacklists and hamilton 68 just to remind people i'll show you in a second here But Clint Watts and the German Marshall Fund, again, State Department, Alliance to Secure Democracy, anything that's Russian-related, Russian disinformation, a threat to democracy, this was all funded. And then they're coordinating with the Atlantic Council, the DFR labs, all of those agencies we just showed you as well. And so uh, Hamilton 68, just to remind people, that was, uh, this is Matt Taibbi's drop here. Uh, That was my Twitter account, marked for... Removal. Now, Twitter didn't remove my account, it turns out, because of uh, Clint Watts and Hamilton68. But I don't know that this same list wasn't acted on with Google, YouTube, and Facebook, which I can hardly post on for years now. Um, So interesting. But there's a lot of other people on there that turned out to actually be real people and not Russian bots. Mm -hmm. So there we are. So that's at 21 Wire. Thank you, Elon Musk. We're back on the platform. And so here's the, the the Costa Rican event, Mike. It's called RightsCon. See how they're framing this as a global a meeting to secure the rights of people online, okay? So RightsCon, this is DFR Labs here. These are the sponsors. Look at the uh, people involved with this. You've got DFR Labs, you've got Mozilla Foundation, you've got all the major uh, t- cell phone carriers as well, the government of Sweden, Microsoft uh open society foundation it's a who's who okay so it seems like a good cause right And the internet society i can as well for the uh the 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 urls so RightsCon. let's take a look at RightsCon, and you can see a, an internet free and secure sounds good the speakers are very secure you can see one of them is still wearing his mask um, this week but uh, let's look at what their actual program is here. An Internet-Free and Secure Initiative. Recommendations for Human Rights-Based Approach to Cybersecurity. This is their main mission. And if you look on this website, you'll see all of the. their basically mission statement. Uh, I think it's 10, 10 steps that, to secure people's rights online. So here's how they're framing it. Cybersecurity capacity building has an important role in enhancing and securing of persons both on uh, line and offline, such efforts should promote quote human rights, respecting approaches to cybersecurity. How do you read through this, Mike?
0: So, the, the, well, it's the usual narrative. We're going to come onto this with respect to the EU, of course, because in order to uh, in order to shut down freedom of speech, we've got to support freedom of speech. This is the kind of language that they use. In order to enhance the security of people, we've got to. Uh, basically, lock everything up so that uh, you know, people can't express themselves properly and so on. But they're using cybersecurity and they're using other buzzwords like this in order to justify uh, or to create the idea of some kind of threat that they have to act against.
1: And offline and, and offline, so that's online harms. Yes. So again, the, the, it's bringing that language together here. Yeah. Uh, all, yep. It all sounds wonderful and it's very well funded, okay? So this is the way that they're approaching this through the Atlantic Council. Now, I wanna to point to something that a lot of people might not be aware of, okay? This is Aaron Berman. He is the head of uh, Facebook's Trust and Safety, okay? And so we found this out in the Twitter, or previous Twitter files drop here, and so he's talking about his oversight board here with other tech companies. They have a board, they have their sort of Zoom meetings, which we'll show you one of those in a minute. So Aaron Berman, interesting character, right, Mike? Um, He wants to prevent imminent physical harm from COVID misinformation, things like this. Let's take a look at here. To all my trust and safety friends at Twitter. So they're coordinating um, either current and former. I hope that you know your work has made a difference. Thank you for everything you've done, whatever the future holds, says Aaron Berman, head of Facebook's trust and safety, community safety guidelines and whatnot, okay? Well, here he is here turns out he's former CIA. So he's not just any former uh, CIA here, followed by Yoah Roth. So they're all working together here. Going to his LinkedIn profile, he actually was the CIA agent who would brief the president for his morning briefings, who moved straight from the Central Intelligence Agency, which arguably is a good job, isn't it? It's got a good pension, not the sort of thing that you'd walk away from. Uh, For a big tech job, I would say once an
0: intelligence officer, always an intelligence officer. (laughs) (laughs) It
1: moves straight into to censorship community guidelines at Facebook. Can you believe it? Yes. Alongside Nick Clegg and Ben Nemo, Ben Nemo from the Atlantic Council okay so let's establish that now let's look at their zoom call here this is with uh aaron berman and also from uh, people from twitter and i think from another tech company and here they're talking about how to censor on covid and shadow banning and why it's a great thing go ahead and roll this
4: for some examples we add labels on posts about COVID 19 and vaccines to show additional information from the who Um, And um, when we do remove misinformation from the platform, which I'll talk about in a second, we built a tool so that um, we notify users who saw that misinformation before we removed it so that they have access to the authoritative information that corrects it. So that's in a a large bucket, our uh, part of our inform work here. On remove for COVID-19, we do have a policy to remove harmful misinformation related to this topic. Uh, Specifically, we remove content that has been debunked as false and leading to physical harm by public health experts related to the pandemic. So these are things like fake preventative measures, claims the virus doesn't exist, or um, this also includes a variety of claims about vaccines. Uh, The idea here is to uh, remove misinformation that could lead to imminent physical harm by somebody maybe not receiving appropriate treatment or exposing themselves to the disease. Um, So on vaccines specifically, in December last year, we started removing false claims about the vaccine, again, that fall within this category. And we've expanded the list of claims we remove about vaccines in general earlier this year in consultation with health experts. And we're continuing to make uh, updates to these policies as trends emerge, um, including just this week, in fact. And we also remove uh, pages, groups, and Instagram accounts that repeatedly violate these policies to get at those entities that might uh, repeatedly spread this content. And then finally, the third part of the strategy, addressing borderline content, which could lead to vaccine hesitancy, which falls into the reduce area. Um, so we do reduce the distribution of certain content uh, about vaccines that doesn't otherwise violate our policies. And our approach here is really grounded in guidance that we've gotten from health experts that, uh, who've emphasized the idea that overcoming vaccine hesitancy really depends on people being able to ask legitimate questions about safety and efficacy and get those questions answered by trusted sources. But at the same time, we also realize that certain of this content could, could lead to hesitancy. Um, so we, we reduce its distribution. So there's a CIA
1: top guy reducing your distribution of your tweets and posts on Facebook, talking with the other big tech companies who are yeah. basically doing doing the same, right? Yes. Re- reducing distribution, shadow banning. So what's the saying that they have? Uh, what's it? Um, you have the right to speak but you don't have the right to be heard that's right yeah yeah. that's
0: that's absolutely right that's the principle yes freedom Freedom of speech but no right to be heard
1: no yeah freedom of speech but not freedom of reach okay so it's not a conspiracy theory of course Uh, it's there you have it from the horse's mouth okay so that's to me this is all very revealing I know we're going back in time a little bit. But it's important that we establish the facts of history of what happened and people to understand how this whole network is constructed. Government absolutely actively involved. Now, we know about all this stuff on the U.S. side now. What's it like on the British
0: side? It's it's much the same. I, I mean, the key point here, Patrick, is uh, Twitter under Musk is getting absolutely hammered by everybody, even today. Uh, and so we've got to understand the context of this, to understand why they're so concerned about Twitter's approach to how he's running the organization. Um, So anyway, of course, one of the people that
1: is... uh, can I just add one thing? Yes, go ahead. While they've been spending all of this time uh, Mm -hmm. censoring political speech and your evil COVID and vaccine hesitancy speech online, uh, it turns out that Instagram has looked the other way uh, uh, with a huge pedophile network running openly on Instagram Mm -hmm. during this whole period. This has just broken the last uh, 24 hours, this story. Okay, we haven't covered it. I'm sure you might. I hope hope you cover it on Monday. So, So they put all of their resources into censoring your political speech and your vaccine hesitancy, but they let organized criminal gangs run amok on Instagram openly during this whole time. Okay, where are their priorities when it comes to trust and safety? This is a good question.
0: Very good question. Uh, Now, uh, let's just, I just want to play a little bit of video here from Andrew Bridgen in the House of Commons. Uh, Let's just play this and then we'll just briefly comment on it afterwards. Andrew Bridgen. This week is Carers' Week, where we acknowledge and recognise the tremendous work done by unpaid carers week in, week out. Unfortunately, I've been contacted
3: by a number of constituents who are now unpaid carers, who used to be paid until the
0: vaccine mandate. Given that we now know that the mandated medical treatment does not prevent transmission or or, uh, contraction of the the virus, could we have an apology and a statement from the government, not only to my constituents, but to the 40,000 other professional carers who are forced from their jobs on what is obviously a false premise?
2: Leader. Well, can I um, say to the honourable gentleman that I will make sure that the Secretary of State has uh, has heard his remarks. Um, the care workforce is under a tremendous pressure. There are an enormous number of vacancies uh, at the moment, uh, and he will know that the Secretary of State uh, is looking at uh, not just what we can do to uh, bolster that workforce, but also part of this is about the, uh, uh, the status of uh, that job and the support people people have uh, in the job. I shall certainly make sure the Secretary of State has heard his comment.
0: Yeah, but she's not prepared to give any serious answer.
1: So I think it was a very well-constructed question because it put her right into the corner. Did she answer the question, though? No. That's it the question, that's the problem. Yes. So there are vaccine mandates still happening yes. in Britain. They're not official, but people are being coerced, being pushed into getting what is a still an experimental jab that has not gone through any regulatory, proper regulatory process or approval, is still effectively being treated like it's an emergency use authorization that's right. uh, injection. So uh, again, uh, it would be good if we saw more of these questions uh, from other MPs, maybe on the labor side maybe on the Conservative side as well, other parties. Certainly, there's happen- is this ha- not happening in other constituencies? There you needs think? to be
0: more than a lone voice in Parliament at the moment, and uh, uh, he is definitely a lone voice at this point in time. Uh, now, of course, the fair agenda continues, so uh, let's just uh, bring this on screen, uh, because, of course, everybody will know by now that uh, the UK Health Security Agency has decided <laughs> to... Uh, um, excuse me, launch a new heat health alerting system. So we've got to be really afraid. Uh, this is basically the message from them. We've got to be afraid of the heat. Of the weather. Of the weather, yes. So we've got uh, yellow alerts in many uh, parts of the country at the moment. They've set up a, an entire website to uh, give us the details. So uh, they've got, uh, uh, there's a yellow alert in the following region. So they give some there some amber alerts going on as well. Uh, and there, But there are no red alerts at the moment, so that should make us feel good. So just so you know, green is, means that there's no alert issued. Yellow means that these alerts cover a range of situations, uh, but uh, they're like they're unlikely to impact most people, but amber alerts they're particularly concerning uh, because they may begin to see some health impacts. And then, if you're a red alert, you basically are dead. It basically seems to be what they're suggesting. Uh, I, but
1: I feel a traffic light system coming on, Mike. I, that's yes. what we need a traffic light system another, another traffic for the lights. weather. And I think when should the lockdown be? Should it be between the amber? And the red, or are you thinking maybe between even yellow and amber?
0: This is this is a good question. But look, if anybody's confused about the fact that basically everybody is going to go off to some very hot country in the next few weeks for for a two-week holiday, and they're not going to come back dead if anybody's confused about that. They might
1: look like a lobster, but they're still alive. But
0: we don't have to worry because the UK Health Security Agency is telling us what we need to pack Uh, Because they've put this little video out on Twitter this morning. It was great. So we've got to tell us. We've got to take our shorts and our swimsuit and our hat and our insect repellent and our sun cream and our condoms uh, and, you know, a mosquito net and, you know, medicine. We've got to take all this. This is fantastic. They've done this for us. Because goodness knows nobody knew how to pack for a holiday before. I mean, it's just incredible. This is amazing. Just incredible. I feel
1: like the the money's being well spent.
0: Absolutely well spent. Well, look, uh, I'm just going to... uh, Uh, Skip through a couple of things here, which we'll put into extra. I just want to end on uh, on one little thing here, which is uh, this quote. Now, I appreciate this is not really a Dostoevsky quote; it it is absolutely not. But I just think it's very appropriate. I just want to remind everybody of it. Uh, The tolerance will reach such a level that intelligent people will be banned from thinking, so as not to offend the imbeciles. I think that is not far away. If if we're not there already, we're not far away from it.
1: Certainly not. Certainly not.
0: So look, let's let's leave it there. We've got a couple of things uh, to talk about in extra, which we're going to do in a couple of minutes.
1: You don't want to show the Elwood event?
0: We we will do that. We'll do that in extra. We still got time. Okay, if you want. We'll oh, do
1: absolutely. It. We'll do the Elwood event. So this was. And I have to give a shout out to um, our our friend Ben Rubin on Twitter, who uh, shared this with me yesterday. So this is an event that turned up here, uh, a New World Order, uh, featuring the Right Honourable Tobias Elwood, uh, and this is going to be in Salisbury. Uh, and I think this is coming up on June 23rd. So tickets are 20 pounds. It looks like a really exciting event, Mike. Uh, you'd think that this was an alternative event, you know, but it's not. This is mainstream. And here's, here it is here. I think the uh, Arundel's uh, charity there on their website here. So a new world order with Tobias Elwood. What could they be talking about? What do you think?
0: I think I'd like to know what they're talking about and I'd be very keen for lots of UK column members to go along to that. I'm
1: I think I'm going to get a ticket. What do you think? I think, I think, think we should go. Worth going to. That's going to be fun. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun and informative too. So I mean, that's the full package. So yeah, that's coming up on uh, June 23rd. Yeah, just just go online and uh it's going get to get it's going to it's be time. sold out, I'm telling you right now especially after today's news program. But (laughs) anyway.
0: Okay, let's leave it there. We'll be back in a few minutes for some extra. Um, If you're a UK call member, you're very welcome to join us there. Otherwise, we'll see you at 1 p.m. as usual on Monday. Have a great weekend. See you then. Bye-bye.